This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Well, if you're new today, we have been in a series from the Gospel of, of Luke between now and, and Easter, and so uh, we've been looking at a series of encounters that Jesus has with, with people in Luke's Gospel, and so uh, today we are going to um, be in, in chapter 19 as Jesus is passing through Jericho, and after this Sunday... We're going between next Sunday all the way through Easter, Jesus is going to be in Jerusalem during the, the Passion Week. So really this is the last text that we'll look at in this series that happens before Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. So we're going to be in chapter 19 today and we're going to talk about encountering his rescue. Encountering his rescue. Luke chapter 19, if you'll find that in your copy of God's Word, or turn on your tablet, or whatever you use, just follow along in in God's Word. Luke 19, and verses 1 through 10, encountering his rescue. The Bible says that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Lord, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your rescue. We thank you that you loved lost sinners so much that, that you came for us, that you gave your son for us, and that Jesus came at, at the ultimate cost in order to, to secure our rescue on the cross and through the resurrection. And so we pray today that you would help us to, to emerge with an even deeper love for the gospel, for our rescue, but that we would also go forth today more aware of the call on our lives to join you in rescuing others who are lost because you have found us that we might join you in finding others. Help us to encounter your rescue today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, so many images from 9-11 are seared into our, our consciousness, but one of the most touching ones to me is the image of the 
firemen going up the stairs of the Twin Towers, as others are going down to safety, those firemen were going up toward danger and in most cases, death. And here in Luke 19, as Jesus is passing through Jericho, he is about to take the road, the the steep road going up to Jerusalem. And unlike the firemen on 9-11 who could not have known what was going to happen and that the Twin Towers were going to collapse, Jesus knows exactly what awaits him in Jerusalem. In Mark chapter 10, in verses 33 and 34, he says, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And he will rise after three days. All for our rescue. Now what we see in Luke 19, 1 through 10, is one life that is rescued. And we see not only the transformation of that life, but we see the call that Jesus has placed on our lives as his followers, as rescued ones, to join with him in seeing others rescued. So what do we see here in Luke 19, 1 through 10? First of all, a divine transformation. A divine transformation. Look at verse 1. It says that he entered Jericho and was passing through. So Jericho is the last city that you pass through before going up that steep road, that incline to Jerusalem. Even to this day, if you visit Israel, you'll pass through Jericho and then you'll begin to climb upward toward the city of Jerusalem. And that's where Jesus is headed. And so Jesus has no intention of remaining in Jericho. In fact, in verse 1, it says that he was just passing through. But you know, when you read the four Gospels, you see that even when Jesus was on the move, that he was constantly on the lookout for people who needed his love. And he calls upon us as his followers to be constantly on the lookout, to do life on the lookout every day for men and women and boys and girls who are in need of ministry. In fact, we can wake up every day as followers of Christ with the knowledge that the people who come across our path that day are not going to be by accident, but by appointment. And we see a divine appointment here in this text. Verse 2. It says there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. So we've talked in this series about the tax collectors. And they were despised by their fellow Jews because they were working for the occupying power. 
They were working for the Roman government, collecting taxes from their own people, but not just collecting legit taxes, but often cheating people, extorting people. But verse 2 tells us that Zacchaeus was not just any tax collector. (laughs) And there were lots of tax collectors in Jericho. It was a border town. But Zacchaeus is not just any tax collector. It says he was a chief tax collector. And the way that it worked was that that meant that that Zacchaeus was getting a cut (laughs) from what all of the tax collectors under him were collecting. And so he was rolling in dough. He was very, very rich. In fact, Craig Keener is a New Testament scholar who specializes in biblical backgrounds. And Keener says this about Zacchaeus. Given his role, Zacchaeus could have become rich without cheating, but it seems that he had cheated anyway. And so this guy is especially hated and with, with good reason. Michael Card, in his, his commentary on Luke, the, the Gospel of, of Amazement, uh, says this about Zacchaeus. He says, the people don't despise him because they are closed-minded and judgmental. They despise him because he is a slimy, good-for-nothing thief. In other words, he is a perfect candidate to display the life-changing, transforming power of Jesus. Verses 3 and 4. He was trying to see Jesus because he was not able, but he was not able to because of the crowd, since he was a, a, a short man, which many was really short. First century Israel, because... People weren't very tall anyway, and so he was probably less than five feet tall. He's a little guy. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. Now, why is a guy like Zacchaeus so intent to see Jesus? In fact, not only does he, he doesn't want to just sort of make a casual effort to see him, He's going to pretty extraordinary lengths to see Jesus. He's running to see him. He's climbing a tree. Is God already at work in this guy's life? Obviously so, but I don't know that Zacchaeus was even aware of it at that point. And it's often that way in our lives before we come to Christ. We can look back and we can see how God was working and preparing us and even drawing us before we were even aware of it. And that means that as followers of Christ, being on the lookout for people, that we should be alert for how God might be working in the lives of our lost friends before they're even aware of it. We should be on the lookout for any sort of spiritual curiosity or questions. You know, we're at a time of year right now, and this, this next month leading up to Easter, this is one of those times of year where secular people are, are asking spiritual questions, and we should be alert to that. And this is a great opportunity for us to reach out to lost people in our lives, family members and friends that don't know Jesus and to be praying for their salvation and inviting them to come with us to Easter. You know, when you think about transition points in the lives of people, the death of a loved one, the birth of a child, a crisis, these are also 
times in, in the lives of people when, when they're beginning to, to ask more significant questions or maybe they're experiencing life humbling them. And this is also a time for followers of Christ, for us to, to come alongside them and engage them in, in conversations about the gospel. And so I believe God was at work in Zacchaeus' life. Even though Zacchaeus may not even be aware of it, he might not even know why he's running to see Jesus or why he's climbing that tree. But God was already sovereignly at work in his, in his life. Verse five. It says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. Now, one obvious question from verse 5 is, how could Jesus call him by name? Because he's Jesus, <laughs> and he knows your name too. And he knows what's happening in your heart and in your life today. Well, Jesus shocked Zacchaeus by addressing him by name, but what he says next shocked Zacchaeus and everybody else because Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. I need to come to your house today. Listen, you can better believe that nobody was seeking to go to the house of Zacchaeus in Jericho, except for maybe other tax collectors, or maybe people who had nothing to lose in the way of reputation. Zacchaeus' house was kind of like the local mob boss's house. It was a place you wanted to keep your distance from. But see, we've seen time and time again, haven't we, in, in Luke, that this is how Jesus rolls. <laughs> Jesus is intentionally spending time with people who are far from God. And so it's not unusual for him to, to sit down with them and share a meal with them, break bread with them. He, he was doing that on a regular basis because he knew that people could not be rescued by him if he was isolated from them. And we need to understand that too. The people, the lost people that God has put in our path, in our life, are not going to be rescued if we remain isolated from them. We have to engage them. And that can be, that can be tricky sometimes, I understand. We need to be wise. We need to make sure that God's using us to pull them up instead of them pulling us down. And it can be uncomfortable at points. But we need to be aware that Jesus put himself and came into the most uncomfortable situation imaginable in order to rescue you and me. We need to be engaging people. Verses six and seven. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. Now, in, in many cases in Luke, we've seen that the religious leaders got upset because Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. But this isn't just the religious leaders. It says, all who saw it, in verse seven, began to complain. People were like, Jesus, this is too far. The home of Zacchaeus? Really? This is too much. But see, it was just like Jesus to go after someone that everyone else had written off. I think about 
a man named Saul who became Paul. <laughs> and, and, and looking back at his own life, what did, what did Paul say about his own life and how Jesus had pursued him in 1 Timothy 1 and verses 15 and 16? He says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them, but I receive mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might display his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Listen, if you were to, had conducted a poll in first century Jericho and asked the question, who is your worst citizen? Zacchaeus wins that in a landslide. <laughs> but there's another landslide that's about to occur, and that's the landslide of, of layers and layers of sin that are going to come crashing down in Zacchaeus' life. Verses 8 and 9. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor Lord, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. Now we need to understand what's, what's going on here and what's not going on here. It, it, it's not that salvation has come to Zacchaeus because of what he's doing. No, Zacchaeus is doing what he's doing because salvation has come to him. This is 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. What's happened is that Jesus has gone back to the house of Zacchaeus and they sit down and they break bread together. And there's not only a sharing of food, there's a, there's a heart to heart. And, and, and Zacchaeus' heart has been opened and, and Jesus has called him to repentance. And, and what we're seeing here is the fruit of repentance. He has encountered the love of Jesus. And God has opened his heart to repent. And this is the fruit of that. We need to understand here that, the, that what Zacchaeus is doing, that the treasure that he's parting with is extraordinary. But you see, he can do it. Because in Jesus, he has found true treasure. When we find real treasure in Jesus, then it enables us to part with earthly treasures. Imagine the impact of this life. Zacchaeus, transformed. Imagine the impact on the people of Jericho. It was a divine transformation. Second, we see a divine declaration. A divine declaration. We see it in verse 10. Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Last week, we looked in chapter 15 at three parables about the lost. We looked at a, the, parable, the story about a, about a lost son. Zacchaeus is a lost son. He was a son of Abraham who had gotten lost along the way. We looked at the parable of the lost coin. Zacchaeus' life has been lost amid lots of coins. He had sold his soul for coins. We looked at the 
parable of the lost sheep. Zacchaeus is a lost sheep if there ever was a lost sheep. But let's ask the question. Before Jesus looks up in that sycamore tree and sees Zacchaeus, is anybody else looking for him? Is anybody else looking for this lost sheep? There's no one looking. No one else is looking. In the Old Testament, in Ezekiel, God talks about a a situation in which no one is searching for his lost sheep. Ezekiel 34 and and verse 6. God says, my flock went astray on all the mountains and every high hill. My flock was scattered all over the face of the earth and there was no one searching or seeking for them. At the International Mission Board, we have lots of acrostics. But one of the, mo- the saddest acrostics that we have is the acrostic UPG. Unreached people group. That's a people group somewhere on earth where 98% or more have little or no access to the gospel. But there's an even sadder acrostic than UPG. And that's U-U-P-G. That's an unreached, unengaged people group. That's a people group with little or no access to the gospel and there is no one engaging them. But even closer to home, Let's think about the lost people in our own lives. And obviously we live in a culture where people have access to the gospel. But when you think about the real people who are lost and the people who are lost even in our own lives, family members, relatives, friends, co-workers, people that we go to school with, other friends that are kids are involved in activities with, people that God has put in our path. Yes, they live in a culture where there's access to the gospel, but is another believer engaging them with the gospel? Is another believer, a believer like you or me, praying for them by name for their salvation? and engaging them in conversation about Jesus. God said, also in Ezekiel 34, that the time would come that since no one else was was seeking or searching for the lost sheep, there would come a time when he himself would come. Ezekiel 34, 11. For this is what the Lord God says. See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. Jesus is the fulfillment, ultimately, of this verse. 
The Son of Man has come to, to seek and to save the lost. And most of the people in this room are among the lost sheep who have been found. But now God's call on our lives is to join him in finding others. Because the task of found people is to find people. And so Jesus says in Mark 1.17, follow me and I will make you fish for people. To be a follower of Christ is to be fishing for people. To be a disciple by its very nature is that we seek to make more disciples. And that's why the mission of our church is to glorify Christ by making disciples who make disciples in our community and around the world. But it's one thing to say that. It's another thing to put it into practice. That begins with each one of us taking the personal initiative to engage lost people with the gospel. Every single one of us has webs of relationships in our lives. If you think about your life in concentric circles, you think about the people that are the inside circle, those who are, who are closest into you, your, maybe your immediate family, but then that, those, that circle expands out, right, to more extended family, and maybe it extends out further to your friends and acquaintances, and it keeps going out. But like every single one of us has within those circles people who are lost. And so it begins with personal initiative on our part to engage those people with the gospel. And then it it continues through the, the ministry of our church. Because as a church, we should be a team together that is seeking to make disciples and see people rescued. And so that means in, in every aspect of our church, it means that, that, that everything should be focused focused on the mission that Jesus has given us, which is to make disciples. And to make disciples by its very nature, mean to be a disciple, means that we care about more people becoming disciples. So to make disciples who make disciples. It means that everything in our church needs to be bulleted toward that, that we all need to be pulling on that same rope Together. And that means that in order for that statement to become real in the life of our church, means that everything about our church needs to be aligned with that. That means in our staffing. That's why we've created a, a new position. Be praying for that search process as it goes on to, to bring on an associate pastor of discipleship who can be focused specifically on helping to equip and mobilize our church in disciple making. 
It means that in everything that we do, in the way that we're structured and, and programmed, that all of that is, is aligned in such a way that we're seeking to make disciples. We have a ways to go with that. It, it means that in our resourcing and our finances, that it means that every penny that we spend is, is for the purpose of helping us to make disciples in this community and around the world. Those resources are precious. And they need to be, everyone, every penny, used for helping us to make disciples here and abroad. I want us to take about two minutes to look at a video of a rescue operation. And I want to make some applications to our church. This morning we're hearing from a teenager who was rescued after being trapped for more than 12 hours in Los Angeles sewers. 13-year-old Jesse Hernandez was freed yesterday after a massive search by police, fire, and sanitation crews. Officials call his rescue from the maze-like tunnels a miracle. Technology played a role in his discovery. Maria Villarreal shows us the boy's scary ordeal. I was thinking, like, I'm going to die. Like, I was never going to see my parents again. Jesse Hernandez recalls what was going through his mind on Sunday when he plunged 25 feet into a four-foot-wide sewer pipe from this abandoned concrete building. Hernandez traveled through this dark tunnel beneath Los Angeles filled with rushing water, sewage, and toxic gas. More than 100 first responders launched a frantic search using cameras placed on flotation devices to comb through over 2,400 feet of pipe. A breakthrough came when one camera captured handprints along the walls of the tunnel. Right away, our guys were saying, okay, it looks like it's close, he's somewhere close by. After more than 12 hours underground, rescuers finally found Jesse nearly a mile east of where he first fell in. Officials tell CBS News if he'd gone any further, Jesse may have been lost in the maze of drainage tunnels that snake below the city. I knew like they're going to like come in or something for they could like track me down for they could know where I'm at. After sanitation crews pulled him to safety, Jesse immediately asked for a cell phone so he could personally deliver the good news to his mother with some humor. Mom, I'm alive. Come pick me up. For CBS This Morning, Mireya Villarreal, Los Angeles. Uh, that must have been the best phone call his mother oh, has mama, ever mama. received. Together, nobody gave up, and I'm so glad he's okay. I just hope when he goes to school, there's no teasing, because yeah. it just lends itself to you know, I, I never thought of myself as claustrophobic, but <laughs> when I saw that video, uh, wow, that's harrowing. So I started thinking, though, about the church. Um, and what do we see about the rescue effort that God has called us to that's portrayed in that video? We see a powerful picture of what a church should be. First of all, unity. Unity. Everyone banded together in the rescue of Jesse. Second, tenacity. No one gave up. Galatians 6, 9 says that we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Third, 
There was creativity. <laughs> they used some incredible tools, tools that wouldn't have been available years ago. And so, you know, when you think about programming in the life of the church, yeah, programs are tools. They can come and go. The gospel never changes. The word of God never changes. Uh, programs are tools that by necessity have to come and go. We have to use tools that are geared to helping us make disciples in 2019, not 1955 or 1965 or even 1995 or 2005. Creativity and then urgency. Urgency. The clock was ticking on Jesse's life. The clock is ticking. The lives of lost people. Listen, Jesus descended into the most hazardous, toxic environment to rescue you and me. In fact, Jesus not only descended into that toxic environment, but Jesus took our toxicity on himself. Jesus took our sin and our toxicity on himself, on the cross, in order to secure our rescue. And then what happened? He rose from the dead so that all who trust in him would be raised as well. And as ones who have been raised, he calls us to join him in the rescue of others who are lost. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that for most of us in this room, we have encountered your rescue. We thank you that you not only gave your son, but that for most of us, you have opened our hearts to receive your son, to experience the, the rescue that's found in Christ. We thank you for the shed blood of our Redeemer. We thank you for uh, one who, who had no sin and yet he took the poison of our sin on himself in order to secure our redemption. We thank you that he has been raised from the dead so that all who trust in him can be raised as well. And Lord, as raised ones, as rescued ones, we pray that you would make us faithful to join you in the rescue of others. As those who have become disciples, may we seek to make disciples of others. Lord, we, we pray for those in our lives who are lost. Can we just, let's just spend just a, a few moments right now praying for lost people in our lives. Think about those concentric circles family members, extended family, friends, someone you work with, someone you know from activities in the community, recreation, or your kids' activities, someone at school. Father, as the, the images of, of faces are surely appearing in 
in the minds of, of people all across this room. Lord, we, we pray for those who are lost. We pray that they're, for their salvation. And Lord, we know that we can't save anybody. You have to do that, but we pray that you would make us faithful. Make us faithful to pray for them. Make us faithful to love them enough to, to share the good news of Jesus with them. Help us to be persistent. Help us to continue to, continue to pray and continue to love and continue to share Lord, for long periods of time, as long as it takes. Father, we lift up, especially in these weeks leading up to Easter, we, we pray that, as, as, that, that you would, uh, would help us to uh, just to, to lovingly invite people to come and to, uh, to, to, to be under the hearing of the gospel uh, here at our church. Open the door for gospel conversations. Lord, help us to be on the lookout for people. Help us to understand that the, the people that you put in our lives, and indeed the people that you put across our path every day, are, are not accidents. It's by appointment. You know what you're doing. And you've, you've put them in our path. You've put them in our life for a reason. Lord, make us faithful as those who have encountered your rescue to be a part of joining you in the rescue of others. Help us to be about that work as individuals and as a church family. And it's in the name of Jesus, our rescuer, that we pray. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father. And you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.